Hello, you're listening to Film Grays. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the da 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 rock and roll band Phil Graves, etc. Soon to return to the stage. No longer a, a joke. No longer <laughs> I mean, an imaginary band. Yeah, remains remains to be seen for sure. Here once again to talk about cinema. This is going to be quite a good one, actually. I reckon. Not that they're not all <laughs> masterpieces, but um, there's been quite a lot of film culture in the flesh in London recently. Mm. I, I mean, it's sort of festival season, isn't it? I guess um, so. So since sort of when was the Stropier film mid-september it wasn't that long ago was it probably end of september yeah seen loads of amazing stuff actually yes um, across <laughs> a bunch of different festivals and yeah we're gonna cover quite a lot of it uh the london film festival is ongoing as as we speak um you have a ticket for something coming up I'm, i think <laughs> i'm seeing fucking memoria i can't wait i'm a bit trepidatious because this guy Pitch from where Seth Goy is my favorite filmmaker in the mm-hmm. world, but so was Bellatar, and he made a film with Tilda Swinton, and that was ass. <laughs> and that's not the only example. I hope it's not an actual syndrome. I'm sure it's going to be fire. I've got a restricted view seat in the Royal Festival Hall. Can't wait. Oh, there have been some terrible reports from there about the sound quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you saw, you've seen shit at the Royal Festival Hall before. Yeah, actually, one of the waviest screenings of anything I've ever been to was there. But both the picture and sound quality would terrible it was um what's his name jonathan glazer's uh under the skin big movie um, with a live accompaniment of the um mika levy score Mm. which is like lots of spooky glissando violins and stuff um a great score went with a friend of the show paul kaya actually that was many years ago but i mean this is a they turned it into a cinema was like bad (laughs) i think they've decked it out to turn it into a proper cinema now you like to think in 10 years they would have done it up a bit but it is yeah every night they're having i guess it's like the biggest the big, cinema in london now what's the cap on royal festival hall like a thousand seats or something like that mm, i'm not sure i think i had a graduation there yeah it is pretty cavernous actually maybe that's why the sound is so bad there but really? yeah as i said they're doing like all the sort of gala shit there aren't they yeah it was weird we we went to see something at the nft one and it was full capacity mm-hmm. in a full cinema mm-hmm. i haven't seen one of those in years yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen one like that before. <laughs> yeah, it was a very lively event, befitting the film program on the evening, uh, which was just unbelievable. We're so happy, dear listener. Let me. I know I may not sound it, but trust, trust, we're fucking happy. Um, that was on the first day of the London Film Festival. It was the festival. first film of the festival, technically. And it, would you like to introduce it? It was Europa by Stefan and Francesca Temerson. And we were the first people to see it in 80 years yeah 90 years <laughs> mm, yeah apart no, from no, archivists no, no. and journalists um, and... yeah so the story of this film is or the story of the filmmakers up to you know mm. um a polish avant-garde husband wife duo who met in 1930 when they were both young they made the first film that year experimental short films i think that was a three minute one called pharmacy mm-hmm. there are a few online that you can watch to get like a sense of the style but um i'd I'd really recommend the eye and the ear which is mm. a sort of for music videos sort of mm. thing i guess it's like kind of the stuff that we spoke about like um rhythmus yeah, yeah exactly this sort of pure film idea of like sort of geometric shapes yeah but the guy who made that was a nazi and these folks were not well exactly so in 1938 um they were in paris um having fled poland by that point they deposited I think five films in a film lab there, and they were never seen again. Basically, uh, <laughs> thought, until yeah, um, thought destroyed, not even just lost, mm. but like deliberately destroyed as an act of mm. sort of political subterfuge or whatever. Because this is avant-garde, you know. It often, I mean, it came out of the right a lot as well, but it's just unbelievable how many movements there were in the twenties and thirties, sort of like with their own sort of foundational laws and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Manifesto City, isn't it? Yeah. If you look at these like sort of poet movements and, you know, they're interdisciplinary um, and obviously apply to film and any sort of visual media as well. Just to briefly continue the story of of these um, these films and specifically Europa, the one that was shown, they were sort of quietly absorbed into First of Reich's art, mm-hmm. sort of film archive. And then after that, I think the Soviets like managed the archive for a short amount of yeah. time. And then it went to 
I guess, the West German film archive. It then went to the Bundes archive, and now it's in the BFI National Film Archive. And a bunch of people were involved in the recovery, the restitution of this film. There were a bunch of interesting talks yeah. um, at the screening. Yasha Reichart, who was the sort of steward of their archive, introduced it. Very endearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was great. We had a talk from... Um, Anne Weber, who's is she a lawyer or something like that? Uh, I, <laughs> I think she's. Um, I think she comes from like a TV documentary background. Okay. She said, but she's involved in the commission for uh, looted art. So that talk was about yeah the sort of moral victory of recovering this artwork. This is one of the only restituted films mm. ever. Mm. That talk felt a bit on the nose for me, sitting in London. In a, post, um, in a post-Brexit landscape. Uh, <laughs> just in terms of, you know, we are like literally the worst pillagers yeah, in the world. Our museums are packed full of treasures that we've, you know, that we're looking after for them or whatever. German's so, got to like, be the second worst though. It is the same, but you know. It was pretty um, funny. But yeah, it was a real privilege to watch Europa. And it was presented alongside a couple of reconstructions, wasn't it? Very interesting program. We got to see the film twice, which yeah. was cool. Once sort of started the sandwich, end. yeah. Yeah. Stefan Themerson made a reconstruction of it in the 80s when he was sort of resigned to the fact that it was a lost film, it was never going to be found. Mm. But he had some stills. So they sort of yeah, read the poem by Adolf Anatole. Anatole Stein. Stern. Anatole Stern. <laughs> Anatole Stern. Um, over the... Because it was a, it was interesting. You don't really see that many adaptations of poems, even in, like, experimental mm. short. Apart from The Green Knight, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. We got we all got a copy of the poem, Europa yeah. by Anatole Stern. Mm. So, yeah, they handed out this facsimile of the Temerson's edition of it, uh, which they print. They, they moved to London after the war or during the war. Um, they made stuff like the Polish, um, like film board, mm. um, like in exile. Then they like started this publishing company, the Gabobocus Press, um, and yeah, they handed out this beautiful facsimile of their 1962 first English language edition of mm. yeah Anatole Stern's Europa. It's a crazy like art book. Um, again, like very like manifesto led. You'd imagine. Yeah, it's a great poem. What's yeah. the poem about to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is about the degradation of, yeah. you know, the, the political, economic and social landscape in the lead up to fascism. That's reflected in um, all film interpretations of it as well. Sure. Um, oh, sorry, just say we, we missed out one of the other um, film they presented, which was Europa, Europa two. 2. I thought this one was fucking amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, Piotr Zabrewski. I think 1988 and that one was just mad it sort of reminded me of <laughs> Baylor's art even mm. though the style is so different I think as it has this underlying like low like bell like the whole <laughs> okay, time yeah, and yeah. it's in black and white it was like extremely gloomy yeah um, and it had these long tracking shots but they were like sped up all these film versions like respond to the line by line imagery of the poem this is so interesting um, yeah there's a couple of um music videos that it reminded me of one is right. there's a Lil wayne song where they i think it's six foot seven foot from the carter four where like the music video is yeah just like a visual representation of all his like stupid lines or whatever yeah the other right. one which is even more <laughs> pertinent is the music video to joker man by bob dylan which has a similar thing <laughs> obviously the best song ever written everyone knows that um, but the poem did remind me about Jokerman, actually, because that is, again, like, you know, end of the world. Scattered, apocalyptic, drawing, like, sort of mixing metaphors. A mess of broken images, um, to, yeah, quote, exactly. to quote T.S. Eliot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it extremely, like, mod in the modernist mode, but I guess more like like a depressed futurist or whatever. Sure. Like, well, no. A lost future. Not, not futurist. <laughs> the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine, fine film, Europa, though. And Europa too. Yeah. It's just hot. There was so much in it. Yeah. Oh, it was accompanied by uh, a great score that this um, Dutch musicologist had done. Ludwig um, Munz. Yeah. He also um, did a sort of pre-recorded lecture about it. Which that was, was fantastic. I thought. Again. 
fascinating. There's one bit in the film where I can't remember what it's tied to image-wise. Mm. That's terrible of me. What have we got, yeah. He samples um, Duda, the leader of... Is that his name? Yeah. A speech, like a really virulently anti-LGBT speech, a homophobic speech that was quite famous that he made a couple of years ago, and he chopped that up and turned it into like an instrument or whatever, which he said for Polish viewers would be very recognizable easily. I didn't notice it until watching it the second time, but... Um, Mad thing I, to do. Yeah. yeah, I think Europa was, you know, it's such a glib, stupid fucking thing to say, but like it was a really good film to watch now where I feel this is also the world we live in or whatever. Like people have learned nothing from the preconditions that led to fascism in the 20th century. And I see examples of it every day. So it was a bit trippy to to think, you know, the film hasn't come to us. We've like gone back in time to the film, you know, yeah, it, with our imagination. A very harrowing sort of premonition and historical document at the yeah. same time. It's just fucked up. But we did meet Mike Lee at this presentation. You helped into his fucking seat, bro. <laughs> Crazy. I clocked like at the beginning that he was, I was like in an aisle seat and then he was on the other aisle seat like opposite me so i was sort of slightly distracted during the screening yeah. and the whole event by um you know his aura or whatever <laughs> i bet he was into it though he seemed to enjoy it he came out of like cooperative filmmaking and stuff like mm. that i'm sure he would have known about what the temersons were up to and the east london film co-op or whatever it's called oh uh, the london filmmakers co-op, the london, yeah. london filmmakers co-op or yeah so that's associated with like peter wallen um yeah. wrote this great um, article called The Two yeah, Avant-Gardes yeah. and the sort of stuff that the London Filmmakers Co-op made is now defunct and I think Lux is its successor but um, yeah sorry Wallen says that like on the one hand you've got the avant-garde that's like you know sort of structural materialist mm. like you're watching like fruit decompose in real time or some shit or you have stuff that like interacts maybe in a more interesting way with like other modes of expression right yeah. it's a bit more dialectical <laughs> like there can be like sort of you know opportunity for meaning making beyond like because you're quite, just in you are quite you're quite hit and miss <laughs> with this stuff i remember watching um at land with you for film club by maya duran a very yeah. foundational important american avant-garde experimental short mm-hmm. and you thought it was ass right mm-hmm. <laughs> for that is abstraction it's not there's bits in europa that are People still haven't caught up with or whatever. Again, a super glib thing to say. There was proper total cinema, like abstract mm-hmm. shapes and light and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That was only a very small part of the film. But I can understand why So many why techniques, you... it's worth saying at this point, in this one. Maybe that's like something compared to the Maya Darren one, which was like, for me, this did not feel like student filmmaking. It felt like, while it, there's like a sort of freeness and like experimentation in it, like it felt like they were doing like so much interesting stuff on a technical and a political level. They made it all in their bedroom as well. Exactly. Using miniatures and exactly. models and stuff. But the thing they could do with yeah. one apple. Yeah. yeah, do, yeah they true. could tell you more about human history with one fucking apple. <laughs> <laughs> they can. They do. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, sorry. The, for Atlan then, it's just like the idea of someone just like running around like you know, cupping their ear and, like, waving their arms. I don't know. We're going to talk yeah. about some of these Japanese Buto films in a little bit. And, like, ugh, nah. nah. Um, this was, like, maybe it's because it stems from poetry, but, like, an extremely rich experience, yeah. Totally. I assume they're going to do, like, a very deluxe repackaging of it. The 25 quid Blu-ray for an yeah. 11-minute film. Yeah, exactly. Take, take um, my fucking money. Um, yeah, but I hope I hope people get to see it. There are a few of their excellent ones available online, such as um, The Adventures of a Good Citizen, which is about a guy that realises he can walk backwards, and then everyone's like, you simply cannot do that, and they're like, you know, chasing after him with placards and stuff. And yeah, he said the eye in the ear is sort of like Fantasia or something. Yeah, shit. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but with cooler music. Yeah. Um, I think it's Simonovsky. Yeah. A composer I wasn't familiar with, but I like the music. Yeah. I hope more people get to see this because... Please watch it, folks. <laughs> there, was it was so many, there were so many just unbelievable images, man. I also feel lucky to become acquainted with the poem as well because yeah. it wouldn't have been on my radar. Favourite poem you've heard this year? You reckon? <laughs> So while you were sitting next to the greatest British filmmaker of all time, 
the dude I was sitting next to, it was fucking hilarious, man. He could not, <laughs> he clearly had no idea what he was in for. He like, after they screened Europa for the first time, like 11 minutes after the screening started, he was like putting on his coat. Like, <sighs> and then he like, he looked like, I guess you haven't been on a plane in a while. No. <laughs> but you know, when you're, you know stuff. when you're like on a plane and you really need that fucking cigarette. <laughs> That was him for the whole film. Just agitation personified. He'd watched a 10-minute film and he was, like, tapping on his phone and, like, just, like, shifting around, like, running his fingers through his hair. I was like, chill out, man. Like, please. But it was funny because he just just got a ticket to the London Film Festival. Like, yeah, this will be cool. It's an extremely real film. Full of crazy images. Like, I, it's impossible to recount them. You tried to write a shot list as you... Yeah, I fucked it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it's impossible. I guess reading the poem could be a sort of approximation of that, but obviously it's so inventive in its treatment of mm. the the words. Um, one thing I thought was quite striking about it was the, the uh, nudity in it, um, which... Let me tell you, listener, this is our sexiest episode yet, and... Everything we're talking about today has an element of um, so car- a carnal element. So <laughs> the image of the grass growing from beneath the pavement or whatever that kind of bookends the film, it's like at the start and the end, is something that anticipates obviously that slogan that you hear or you saw written around. Well, I didn't, but of like beneath the pavement, the, the beach or whatever, like famous 68 right. French leftist slogan or whatever that image is you know probably the most like technically demanding thing to do because it's just like time-lapse photography yeah exactly but it's so powerful in this film Mm. i thought an image reprised in another new film that i saw at the london film festival really the only other one i'm probably gonna see (laughs) which was radu jude's bad luck banging or loony porn Mm. i love his films um I do not care if we go down in history as Barbarians from 2018 is really one of my favourite films. Mm. Made a huge impression on me. It's about like a young artist in Bucharest, I guess, um, trying to put on a sort of reenactment of a pogrom in the Second World War to educate the people about uh, like sort of national atrocities that they've like sort of swept under the carpet. Crazy film. I think I spoke about it. On the episode with Jack from 2019. Yeah, Aphorim is a great movie. Yeah, that's like sort of nineteenth century, very medieval film. Yeah, um, about like indentured service. Yeah, yeah, sort of gypsy slavery. Um, an amazing film. Um, all his films are sort of very astute and like have a very critical eye on, mm. um, as I said, sort of national history mores. Um, this film, Bad Luck Banging. It's about a teacher whose sex tape is leaked by her husband, I think. <laughs> Everyone finds out and then she has to have like a sort of reckoning with the parents who are all like fully up in arms about it. They represent the sort of scope of reactionary contemporary Romanian society. It's one of the funniest films I've seen in a long time. Uh, it starts with an extremely explicit sex tape the Jeez. sex tape at hand um proper like Pornhub style i guess like very um real sex yeah i think so what is the london film festival come to how can they be showing this smut <laughs> to the, um, the queen's patron <laughs> um, the royal festival hall yeah, yeah. No, it was at kurtz on soho you know so in the basement yeah, and, and then it's in three parts. The first, all formally different. The second part, I think, is the most interesting, where it's a um, a dictionary of, like, signs and wonders or something mm. like that. Um, and it just goes through all these, like, sort of definitions. Um, hilarious and also, like, very critical. Juxtaposing, like, the maddest shit imaginable, basically. Cool. Um, I'm not sure whether you'd like... I'm not sure if you could hack it, to be honest. Me? Well, yeah, I think por- I do hate. I think you'd be. I like, hate oh, pornography, man. Um, yeah, but <laughs> it's a hilarious film. Yeah, um, I want to watch it. I really, really, really want to see it. Is it? A, it's a COVID movie. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so he was actually at the screening and like did a little Q and A afterwards, and someone was talking about the dialogue in it, and um, <laughs> he was like, I think their question was about improvisation, and he was like, mm. no, like. Yeah. they can't write the dialogue better than I can. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wrote the dialogue like that. And then he was, like, saying how with the masks, it's easy to do, like, ADR and stuff. <laughs> Everyone's wearing masks, like, the whole time. Oh, people wear masks in the film and stuff? The whole time. Wow. During the, like, sort of show trial in at the, porn. the end. No, not in the porn. The only time people aren't wearing masks <laughs> is when they're sucking dicks in this film. Um... <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, like, sort of walking around the street. So you get, yeah. like, a good sense of, like, the tapestry of pandemic life. Yeah, okay. Uh, with, like... Wow, know, I can't wait to see that on, on screen. It's that, that bit is wild. It's just, like, the first third of the film is literally just following her walking around the streets. And then, like, the camera will, like, get distracted and, like, settle on an advert or something. Yeah, okay. Very out one uh, mode. Exactly so. The second part, as I said, is this like sort of Diderot mode. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then the third part is like the show trial, um, which is just hilarious. Okay. It's also a Goosebump style, choose your own ending. Really? Um, yeah. So honestly, it's a hilarious film. I uh, hopefully it goes on movie or something. I think it's like getting. That. I think it um, did get bought. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to distribute it, but um, I clocked that the US version is like twenty minutes shorter. Damn. And I wonder how why. Long is, how long is this porn scene? <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, okay, so they... <laughs> during the meeting, they, like, play it on the tablet and, like, everyone's <laughs> watching it again. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's two jokes. Raji Jude fucking killed it. He sounds like Goddard or something like that. Yeah. I also watched Scarred Hearts recently. Yeah, one from a few that. years ago, set in a sort of sanatorium main character, loosely based on a... Um, Romanian sort of uh, poet mm. and novelist, um, and that film was amazing. Again, a very unique um, sort of aesthetic approach. Very long takes, um, <laughs> very static, and um, again, just really jokes. Yeah, and really like critical. Honestly, like all the ingredients for me. Uh, bad luck banging, smashed it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Smashed it. <laughs> Smash. More festivals. You yeah. went to see a film at the Queer East Festival, is that what it's called? That's correct, yeah, which was a festival. I think it's set up a few years ago, where it's all East Asian queer filmmaking. Great. As, as one would imagine. Yeah, multiple venue situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's still on as well. I think right. it's a long festival. Cool. But I may not be a member of the queer community, but I could not miss this. This is the film I've probably wanted to see the most throughout the whole pandemic. It showed at the London Film Festival last year, but I didn't make it because I'm a mug. No, because Goodbye Dragon Inn wasn't cool then. <laughs> no, it definitely was. Um, I saw Sai Ming Lang's new film, Days. Days. D- Rizzy Days. Great. Which was amazing. I also got to see some unsimulated sex in the basement of the Curzon Soho. Same place. Brilliant. Which was interesting because, I mean, Sai Ming Lang retired from filmmaking seven years ago. Mm, I was going to say it's Stray Dogs was like very much announced as his last film that was like the most life changing I'm sure I talked about it on the podcast before seeing that in the film house in Edinburgh I'd never seen anything like it and it definitely like pilled me about slow cinema but um, he's done some gallery stuff since then he did this film called Your Face although intriguingly Stray Dogs was shown in, he's a Taiwanese filmmaker he's a pioneer of slow cinema, he's made so many classics mm-hmm. um goodbye dragon in stray dogs rebels and the neon god the wayward cloud so much all, all in collaboration with lee kang sheng who is his uh sort of muse or whatever who was just a laborer that he met and he decided that he wanted to make films about him so he's in every single one of his films often playing himself but um yeah so stray dogs was shown in galleries in taiwan and your face which is 
literally the most gallery film you've ever seen was shown in, in cinemas. Let me guess, like four hours on the face or whatever. Yeah, literally. Yeah, that's just 13 faces like okay, cool. for about 10 minutes, including, um, fuck, what's he called? Jean-Pierre Leo. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, so for his return to filmmaking, I find it pretty interesting that he, I mean, he's a queer man and like um, there's been a queer element to a lot of his movies, including Goodbye Dragon Inn, which you saw. Mm-hmm. Just the other day for the first time. Sure did. Which is all about cruising in a cinema that's about to be closed down and the sort of seizing of public space under capitalism mm-hmm. or under Chinese communism or whatever. But this was such a beautiful film and a, a queer film, you know. I I rate that this is like his queerest film in a long time or ever for coming yeah. back to cinema and like that being like the programming focus and the programming context i think it's almost better that i saw it in this film festival as opposed to in the london film festival there's a q a afterwards as well where he was on on zoom like 60 feet high it was great he waved at us and everything it was <laughs> very funny he said he loved the father um because i guess he was talking about lee kang sheng's like aging over the course of his films which is like almost 30 years and he was saying like he thought The Father was a horror film, which I think he must have been listening to Film Greys to yeah. come out with that <laughs> that analysis. Um, I'm going to be talking about it on another podcast, so I need to get my game up before then. I'm going to be talking on the Longtime Companion podcast with Daniel Theophanes about days for about an hour this week. So yeah, check that out, listeners. And I'm definitely going to be talking about it in my end of the year <laughs> recap. Yeah, of course. I think this is probably his best film. You said... I mean, do you think it's going to get a... Well, I think when much, like, gonna see much like Looney Porn, it's got real sex in it, so it yeah. probably can't be released with the BBFC or whatever. But that's a shame. It was a, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a prude, right? I don't like to watch this sort of stuff. But this, it's all about a man with a bad back and you see him, it's set in Bangkok, right? And you see him go to these like crazy experimental acupuncture therapy things where they're like lighting coals like on syringes or whatever and you're just watching that for you know 15 minutes pretty brief for a shot for a, a Simon <laughs> Lang film um sorry and- this just reminded me of Joe recently telling us about his dog's acupuncture yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean this the acupuncture didn't help he still had the longing this mm. like Goodbye Dragon Inn doesn't have much dialogue at all but it does have a sort of wordless encounter where like half the film you're following Lee Kang Shang around and the other half you're following a sex worker Who's from Laos? Anong, yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, Anong, <laughs> and you see him. You know, you watch him like cook his dinner for half an hour or whatever, and they're just very, it's very like bifurcated. They're both alone. And Jean they have Dillman. This... Same. Jean, Jean Dillman. Dillman. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, Clay, Clay O from Five to Seven yes. were like really evident thoughts to me. But then they have this this encounter in like an unbroken like twenty minute shot where he's given him a massage and then he like wanks him off and then he gives him a music box that plays the song from Limelight by Charlie Chaplin. Great. <laughs> which is <laughs> Dear listener, let me tell you, I was a different person. Like it was so overwhelmingly beautiful and understated. And as Marxist as any of his films can be, and j- oh, I'm so happy that I saw this shit. You got. I... I'm happy that you saw it in cinema. <laughs> Good, Goodbye, Dragon Inn is the only one I've seen. Mm. And as you said, I watched it for the first time like two days ago or whatever. You've seen a ghost yeah. story, so you've seen a fake Simon Lang. <laughs> I've film. seen you click through a ghost story yeah. for me. That's the worst film ever. Made. Um, yeah, I mean, you I really see... enjoy Goodbye, Dragon Inn, yeah. and I wasn't really sure what to expect from Goodbye, Dragon Inn. Yeah, as you said, like become a very sort of mythological and coveted and like you know i think that's because cinemas had to close and shit i think that's got to be the reason why yeah you reckon that was it you can't get all these twitter accounts to just watch actual art film like that so easily it was definitely more arty than i imagined sure Um, how would you you compare it to roy anderson that definitely came to mind for sure yeah mainly because of these very static compositions and the sort of awkwardness yeah. and slight sort of melancholy vibe. Mm. I mean, this Goodbye Dragon is obviously very melancholic. Um, I've got the Stray Dogs. Is it? Um, yeah, it's got Journey to the West on it. New Wave films. New Wave films, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching it. But 
Yeah, well, get... call me when you do, man. I, <laughs> I want to watch that shit with you. We'll definitely cover his work more extensively in the future. Sorry, Patreon. He's just put. He's continuing to push him to the point where if you watch some of his '90s films, you'd be like, "Oh, fucking hell, this is quite fast-paced or whatever." <laughs> um, what's the ne- the Neon Mon? Is that is that Rebels of the Neon God? That was his first film. That is fucking sick. Yeah, like kind of youth revolt film. Cool. But what I was gonna say is that with Stray Dogs. That's about like a, a broken family or whatever. I always said it was like shoplifters. That yeah, film is for so. babies or whatever. And this is like <laughs> the, the grown up version of that. But it's like, yeah, him looking after two kids and he doesn't have a, he really wants to have a wife or whatever. And they have like such a broken connection or whatever. But in, yeah, in like a sort of nuclear family, like very cishet mm. context. And then Days was like so rich for exploring that world. Sounds amazing, As man. A, so save some of it for the for the one you're guesting on. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to talking about it. It's so like it's so amazing. Three out of five. <laughs> like. <laughs> Sam, you were also involved in the exhibition of some. Uh, some sexy stuff. <laughs> 60 foot high at the Barbican in that amazing cinema they have. Well, it was actually spread across screens one and two. And I think the film you're referring to was in screen two, which is slightly less impressive. Such a shame. Or precipitous. The Japanese art experimental film festival. <laughs> Avant-garde and experimental. Jave. <laughs> yeah, I remember Jave, yeah. <laughs> Japanese avant-garde and experimental film festival yeah i volunteered at this one actually which was cool um yeah. and i got to watch a bunch of these films lovers are wet i think is the one you're referring to directed by tatsumi kumashiro right i can't say i'm familiar with their body of work i think it is largely in the same vein they're working within this um sort of roman porno um mm. genre which is these sort of like normal slightly political or otherwise films that just like have sex in them however they are like heavily censored like in frame yeah they have like sort of boxes and squiggly lines oh thank god man so so, yeah i mean it has uh, that film was a bit ropey it's about a cinema projectionist who things like sort of what i think it's like wanted by the yakuza or some shit yeah and um story of my life bro (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> obviously also sort of like joker energy there yeah and i get it yeah yeah this film prompted quite a few walkouts actually no way and afterwards on their website they were like oh we're sorry that we didn't like appropriately provide like trigger warnings for our presentation of sure, lovers are wet advertised as an existential shagathon um, yeah but... but includes like free rape scenes what the... um, dude <sighs> every fucking japanese film i watch no that's an awful thing to say Every classic, sick Japanese film I watch, nine times out of ten, it has some fucking sexual violence in it and some, like, serious problem with misogyny. That I mean, I... if we look at, like, you know, historical gender relations in the West as, like, a problematic or whatever, this is so amplified in... Well, we're talking here about Japanese cinema. Yeah. It is definitely a salient feature. The rest of the programme, however, well, was super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We... You got to see... Shuji Teriyama's The Boxer, yeah. a sort of Rocky-esque... Well, it literally was, wasn't it? Yeah. It came out like the year after Rocky. Yeah. Rocky's like enormous success. I can't remember whether we spoke about Throw Away Your Books, Rally on the Streets on the pod, but that was the only other film of his that I've seen. That is formerly way more avant-garde and experimental, yeah. including like lots of tinting and like smash cuts, lots of like Brechtian devices. There, this was, was, way there was one more shot in that film that was amazing where like the dude was chasing the camera away as it was like running through the streets or whatever that was one that cam shout out cam young friend of the pod put it on for the for the film club but regrettably the only thing i can remember about is that film really is the horrendous rape sequence it stays in the mind for sure you made emperor tomato ketchup as well i've seen that mm. cool film sort of battle royale style premise it has horrendous even the shared <laughs> context of like 1968 post 1968 mm. political turmoil and like sort of reconfigurations has a completely different flavor in these japanese films 
that was clear and throw away your books. Boxer, not an inherently political film, really. Um, but, I mean, I thought it was jokes, not avant-garde or experimental, just has an avant-garde slash experimental director, i.e. Shuji Tarayama. It was a bit more avant-garde than Rocky, but... Mm, I mean, there are some sort of, like, fantasy scenes yeah. and stuff. I loved the score in this one. It was very much my, like, sort of Gilead mode vibe. <laughs> Uh, I love the Tokyo Kid Brother score of Throw Away Your Books or whatever. Mm. There's just there's just bits where it's like it was obviously influenced by art film. There's a there's a scene where like he makes phone call and then the person on the other end of the phone call is on is in like a phone booth on like a key Very, on the beach. Very like spirited away or whatever. And it's like why would they put a fucking phone booth <laughs> yeah. there? Like it, yeah, it looks cool or whatever. I'm not trying to slew this film. I thought the boxer was good. Like there was a good dog character. It's on YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that one. The theme of the festival was the body. So that's how they incorporated the Roman porno yeah. sort of genre films. These like sort of Olympic slash sport adjacent ones. They also played Tokyo Olympia by Konichikawa. 1965, crazy film. Only other film I've seen by him is Far on the Plains. Again, a film club selection by friend of the show, Brandon Sheehan. We're going to go see An Actor's Revenge at the BFI this <sighs> month as part of their crazy Japanese program. It really is crazy. They're showing Souls on the fucking road. They're showing road. Souls on the road like five times. Oh my Listen God. to our 1921 episode if you want. I, but that the, that's ridiculous. The print could be crazy. Yeah. I can't fucking yeah. wait for yeah, that, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sorry, yeah. Tokyo Olympiad, just under three hour documentary. There are a few versions of it. There's a sort of sterile American version, which um, is a bit more party liney. I watched a pretty sterile British version yeah. that was on the Oli guess... Olympics official YouTube channel yeah. or whatever. That, I guess that's the one I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and I, again, an interesting work of art. Um, it's so interesting because th that film starts out, at least the version I watched, starts out with the destruction of like some tower blocks in Tokyo. Like the first image you see is like a wrecking ball going that... in. And like around the 2012, there was that whole fucking shit where they were going to demolish the red road blocks in uh glasgow like simultaneously with the opening ceremony this is the whole thing man yeah. um you know these big like sort of sport washing projects or like sort of the big major sports sport events. washing i've never heard big, that expression before but that's sports events yeah. uh, well that's more in terms of like um like sort of pernicious um, like dynasties and oligarchs, like buying companies, bread and circuses, and or whatever. you know stuff like having the fucking Europa League final in Azerbaijan yeah. in Baku when yeah. Arsenal at the time had a R Armenian player Henrik Mikatari yeah, wasn't who couldn't go because he thought uh, Azerbaijani might kill him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and but sport I mean, is Newcastle, the only thing that's Newcastle has just to... been taken over by yeah, Saudi. You know, the Saudi dynasty, um, a Saudi dynasty. Um, are you going to boycott the Qatar World Cup? <laughs> are you going to say it into a microphone that you're going to do it? I, it would be hypocritical to say I would. And that is the universal condition of this yeah. thing. Like, you know, it's inexorable. That's why it's they do it It's unfortunate and inexorable. Um, exactly, because it, there's, there's just so much like capitalist demand for yeah. it, consumer demand for it. Like It's, it's too necessary. Yeah, so the yeah. sport, sport killed the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but this is, uh, this, sorry, this is an essential aspect of like any film that looks like the Olympics mm. or any, or like the World Cup. When we spoke about Kleber Mendonça-Filho's films, oh. he made a film about the World Cup in Brazil called um, uh, something uh, about um, Recife, where he's yeah. from. That was about, you know, juxtaposing like the sort of glory of having a major sporting event and the sort of stark realities of like you know evicting people that live in these spaces yeah. and like you know disrupting their lives and you know and they'll be like they are over here and there's a whole cult of people who just talk about the 2012 olympics in the uk is like the greatest thing ever and like the last moment it was good before brexit like when dude at, um, kenneth branagh was reading his speech <laughs> when I, during my uh history ba i did like a course about ritual and like the opening ceremony of the 2012 olympics was like a fucking case study for yeah. that because like it was so precise in its deployment of these like sort of symbols and codes and like sort yeah. of meaning making exercises about what it means to be related to the nation, A to subject. be related to these institutions, to yeah. be like 
invested in all these sort of networks of sorry it's such a tangent but anyway i feel like that's what tokyo olympiad does somewhat what is really interesting is that kurosawa was supposed to make the he was contracted to make the tokyo olympiad film right Mm. but he demanded to be able to direct the opening and closing ceremony so they fucked him off and they got and they got yeah danny boyle style and so they got um konichikawa who was famous for picking up projects that he wasn't supposed to direct or whatever so they got him to direct it and it did have a flavor of what i've seen of his work i found it fucking boring though i don't want to watch fucking olympics i didn't even watch the olympics i didn't watch a second of the olympics the last tokyo olympiad last year this year yeah. this year, last year whatever. yeah i didn't watch a second of it bro yeah but i mean look reef and star will always be the goat all right you can't come you can't come for the queen <laughs> like that i'm joking i fucking hate her <laughs> I really enjoyed the program overall, though. Um, there, as I alluded to earlier, there were some of these Buto films, which are like um, very choreographed. Uh, it's a form of dance slash choreography, very expressive. Um, Blue Man films, Group, definitely. I find I think it's a bit intolerable to be honest, <laughs> but I mean, as a way of responding to like world historical events, you know, yeah. these films like engage with the memory of the atomic bombings and the Japanese all? imperialism and. I don't want to come off as anti-Japan on this podcast. I feel like this is a bit of a flavour that I'm given right now. I'm not. If you're anti-fash. Well, yeah, I'm anti-empires, you know. And, and like, you know, it's hard to reconcile. It is unreconciled. Hey, we're going to talk about Stropier in a minute. We're about to, yeah. Um, for what, I can't let this go. The, the best thing that ever happened in a cinema happened in the screening of The Boxer. Where they had a new... Oh, my God. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, every <clears throat> screening was accompanied with, like, a new short film. Lockdown films, yeah. you know. So this one had a contemporary short. Yeah. Which you're, you're looking at... What are you looking at? Some fucking people in costumes, like, sitting around a table. We didn't get that far into the film, basically. Because it was it was really slow, right? It was, like, frame to frame, like, as if you could see the fucking image change or whatever yeah but if you're at an avant-garde and experimental film festival this is it how do you know because it's like there's bits in twin peaks the return that are like this right where (laughs) everything is just slowed down to like one frame per second and like people like yeah like talking and i was like oh damn this is pretty crazy and then the dude came out like it was supposed to be like a 10 minute film he came out like six minutes into the film and he was like Oh guys, I'm really sorry. There's a massive problem with the DCP, and it's it's projecting the film at like one twentieth of the speed that it's supposed to be seen at. And I was like, "Huh? No way." Me and Joe, vegan friend for life, friend of the show, we shouldn't have cracked up, but like I couldn't. No, come on, I man! It was hilarious because I thought this is what avant-garde cinema is all about. You know, like upending your expectations. They could have just started it, it out. They could have started it out a hundred percent, but then we would have been there for four hours. <laughs> that you know it says it all if you know anyone there who is not down with experimental shorts like that would have they never need to see one again now because they can just tell that story for the rest of their life it was fucking hilarious it was hilarious (laughs) so you've been very patient dear listener for listening to us talk about all these films that you're never going to see and you'll never be able to see anyway (laughs) so now we've got a nice little popcorn classic at the end, we're going back to a real film grace fave. Don't we? Because we saw From the Clouds to the Resistance by <laughs> Strobier at um <laughs> what what event was this? I can't um, remember. I think it was the Open City Documentary Film Festival. That's exactly what it was, yeah. And I think it was actually programmed as part of a sort of sub event across the French Institute where where we saw this and mm. the Goethe Institute down the road. Um, about the uh, work of Cesare Pavese, right. I think, or film in treatments of his work. This film is comprised of sort of two sections, both from um, Cesare Pavese texts. The first one is sort of classical figures having dialogues about power relations, yeah. providence, work, um, spirituality. Labor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the big stuff. The only ones I knew were Theresius and Oedipus or whatever. Yeah. Other, other ones is like... Oh, no, Hercules is in it. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah we got yeah. Uh, uh, the cloud. We got loads of people. <laughs> um, these obviously it's like are very formally <laughs> rigorous. It's like uh, um, Ready Player One. <laughs> all your all your favorites. 
I guess the one that you see stills of most is uh, the one with Oedipus, where it's like the back of their heads or their backs in a chariot, and they're just like riding along. This, the, this the fucking end, killed me. Man. The end of every dialogue uh, is a sort of held shot, yeah, and that one just goes on for like three minutes while they're just carrying along. I thought the road. they, I thought they looped it because you are just yeah. yeah, you're in the back of a chariot or like a wagon. I was getting motion sickness. Yeah. It was sure. real. Sorry, the second part of the film then jumps from the classical period or the sort of mythological period to the uh, sort of recent historical present day, like post-Second World War. I think it would have been a bit earlier, though, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have been set in the 50s or something? Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. the idea is this dude is in like a rural community in northern Italy in a town that's like decimated and everyone who was there for the war, you know, had some serious stories to tell or whatever. But the Cesare Pavese... He moved to America for the war and he sort of bypassed the whole dialectic, even though he was a communist, but he didn't have to pronounce himself as a communist in the way in America, in the way that he would have had to do in Italy. And it's like him coming back after World War Two and meeting up with all these childhood friends, just hearing about dread shit, having the priest come out of the church and do this like. 10 minute diatribe colored red means <laughs> this 10 minute diatribe where like basically the fascists have won i think is kind of the implication of the film like there's horrible like manchester by the sea style tragedies being told in this film but it's mostly about how like everyone who's still kicking around is a loser and a complicit, fascist loser complicit and complicit extent, yeah, yeah absolutely but they all deeply believe in fascism there's a great scene where um, the most populated scene by a long stretch where um, the guy we're following around the sort of returner mm. to um, the city, the town, um, is in a bar and is just like on a table on his own. And then like all these people are like sort of rowed up uh, standing at the bar and they're all just like looking at him. And like, I think he stands like they're talking about like the sort of politics of the war and he's like stands up and he's like, oh, you're yeah. sort of wrong, and yeah. then he leaves, and then they're all just like, you know, it's not reconciled. Yeah, basically, yeah. it's the there's no. If you like the f- last five minutes of Barbara, this is the whole or half of a film of that, <laughs> yeah, or exactly, whatever. Exactly, and I do. I think that's a great ending. Yeah, um, Stropier, they're not the most uh, pleasant filmmakers to engage with, but I've never regretted a single second I've spent watching any of their films because it's. They just go so hard. They're so real with it. Like, fucking The Chronicle of Anna Magdalena Bach and History Lessons are both, like, absolutely interminable to watch or whatever. Or they, like, they do something completely different to you where you're watching just eight-minute recital fix shot of a Bach piece or whatever. And it you feel completely different after you watch yeah, it. Yeah, it forces you to confront exactly, things yeah. in a different way. I think that's the point. Of the aesthetic, yeah. at least. But it fucking works. It works on you. Because I remember you didn't even think this was that sick afterwards. But, like, have you stopped thinking about it? Like... No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. What I would say is, dear listener, if you haven't seen a film by Jean-Marie Strobe and Danielle Hie, the year before this film, they made a short one called Every Revolution is a Roll of a Dice. It's a adaptation of a... Um, What's his name? Malamai? Yeah. Um, poem. Uh, again, I mean, one, it's, it's quite like Europa. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like, that one has a quite distinct uh, sort of layout on the page, yeah. um, which was obviously very ex- experimental at the time. This film, again, is just a... They recite the poem in Père Lachaise <laughs> Cemetery. The film starts with like a shot of the wall against which they shot the people they executed during the Paris Commune and stuff like that. Great film. You can watch that on YouTube. Again, it's rigorous, but like really thought-provoking, essential, They're moving. Quite easy films to make, though, right. aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that one, for example, was just like all their mates. Hard like, to watch, easy to make. Come on, they had to source like some togas and shit <laughs> from the counter the resistance. Um, no, for sure, it's like very low budget. You'd imagine the film is like by a long, long distance. The, the Stock, I mean, is yeah. by a long distance the most expensive thing involved in the mm. production. Mm. Um, but when you've not, got, you know, when you've got this landscape, especially oh, the Italy, yeah, the Italy, when you have yeah. that, you don't need anything else. No. You don't. I'd pay my ten pounds. 
<laughs> 10 pounds, Jesus. It wasn't even empty. We weren't even the only people there. I really like the the basement screen of the Institute Lumiere. I feel like I only see classic shit there. I've seen Zed, Zed. Um, Vagabond, and this all there. And Did we see Rojo there? Or was that the ICA? No, that was at the ICA. You said oh, that last time. It feels well. very similar. Apparently the I ICA, apparently they've fixed bo- it now. I think of them as both dungeons. That's why I... Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. But not... This was not a sex dungeon. Not like, Soho dungeon. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Soho dungeons are airy. And... We saw Zola, we saw Zola <laughs> there as well, man. It's proper the mood. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. I'm gonna go there and watch. <laughs> <sighs> trying to think of the least, the least sexy film. What's that? It's the um the score from Taxi Driver. <laughs> From the clouds, the resistance was fire, man. Yeah, uh, what a privileged seat in the cinema. It had an introduction, which was great. Shout out to the guy that programmed it. I think he's been involved in previous retrospectives of their work as well. And it was a beautiful copy. Really, a privilege to watch in cinema, much like Europa. Much like bad luck banging on yeah. You're back at the movies, folks. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Hotter than ever. <laughs> X-rated. I've been playing at a lot of festivals this summer. Oh, with... dude, you saw fucking Privilege at oh, a festival. Oh, shit, I did. I did as well. And That uh, is mad, by Peter Watkins. What festival? It was at End of the Road. I wasn't even I wasn't even working there or anything. I just did went, you say um, Ben Wheatley was programming? Yes, it was Rook yeah. Films were doing the program. And then the next day it was Johnny Greenwood. So Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead put on Sherlock Jr. and The Kid, a hundred-year-old film. And yeah, I went to watch those at 11 a.m. with friend of the show, Kieran, which was... The highlight of any festival I've been to this mm. summer. Sorry, Privilege by Peter Watkins. <laughs> yeah, a musical film about a rock star. It's kind of like, it is, it's before Tommy, but it's kind of like black-pilled Tommy, you know. Great. It's like if, if Tommy was made, he had to work for the Vickers and um, be the ultimate agent of social repression and the ultimate pop star, like... Um, Pink Pantheress or whatever. No, I don't. I don't know. Sounds wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, Privilege was fire. I can't believe I got to see that. Probably not the best musical we've seen recently, though, because we did watch the confrontation by Mick Lushion the other Annette, day. Annette. <laughs> Fuck off. Annette was okay. I'm stopping this part. Okay. Now. Spoiler. Okay. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's my favorite film of the year. Days is number two, and Annette is number one. He thought no. it was trash. What I was gonna say is, having played at all these festivals with fucking shame and sports team and all this, all this shit, I hate. It was great to go to some unusual events because festivals, by definition, are unusual. They're a break from the normal. And we went to about four of them, even if for an hour or so. And I feel insanely lucky that, you know, you wait for one film festival to come along and four come along at once. But shout out everyone involved with Queer East. Shout out everyone involved with Open City Docs. Shout out everyone involved with the JAF, including yourself. And London Film Festival, it is what it is. Yeah, it's alright. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Emmett. I'm Sam. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>